Once again, we're looking at Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment, and specifically the section on training the mind in the stage of the path shared in common with beings of medium capacity. Um, so if we look at that and we look at Lama Tsongkhapa's own outline, we'll find that there are four categories. The first category is the mental training. The second category, measure of the determination to be free or the measure of one's renunciation. Third category is dispelling misconceptions. And then the fourth category is ascertaining the nature of the path leading to liberation. Uh, so we're currently dealing with that fourth category, ascertaining the nature of the path leading to liberation. And then when we look at that, there are two major headings for that. First is the kind of life or the kind of basis one needs in order to halt cyclic existence. And then the second category is the kind of path you need to cultivate in order to halt cyclic existence or the kind of path needed to cultivate to achieve liberation. Um, so we're currently dealing with the kind of um, path one needs to cultivate in order to achieve liberation or halt cyclic existence. And we're, um, we found that Jayan Sheba's commentary on this, um, there in the four interwoven commentaries on the difficult points of the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment, Jayan Sheba states there's eight categories in this section. And we're in category number five currently. So I'll let everybody know where we are in the text once Rinpoche points out to me exactly where we are in the Tibetan. Rinpoche, Ngatsu Kabiyare. Four, Okay, so we're currently on page, it's either going to be 344, 345 area. I'll let you know exactly. I'll read from where Rinpoche starts. Um, I just need to, um, so it's probably going to be, um, uh, on page 344, right after the quote from the sutra requested by... I'll let you know when we get there. Okay, Deeksung Rinpoche. 
Then I do tell 
Okay, so okay, so it begins on page three forty-five. Sorry about the delay. It says, therefore, as this sutra says. So this is referring to the King of Concentration Sutra. There's a number of quotes here you see from the King of Concentration Sutra. So I just wanted to make sure we were in the correct spot. So now we're on the fifth uh, category, Napa Jayan Sheba Sachin Napa. In the fifth category of Jayan Sheba's commentary, it says. Therefore, as this sutra says, I set forth trainings for householders wearing secular clothing. At that time, these monks did not even uh, did not have even these trainings. The Buddha says that in these times, when even monks do not completely maintain the five fundamental trainings he taught to the lay practitioners, effort in the training has an even greater fruit. Therefore, you should strive to maintain the trainings. So during these times, during these degenerate times, when there is a decline in the teachings, um, it's stating that uh, there, there is difficulty for monks to even maintain the five um, vows that the Buddha set forth for householders. So someone who is able to hold any type of virtue during this period of time where there is a decline in the teachings during degenerate times <coughs> is creating a much larger amount of virtue than if it was at a different time. So during degenerate times, engaging in virtue has much greater uh, fruits meaning much greater happiness because the fruit of virtue is happiness. Then it goes on to say, for it says, the same sutra says, for 10 million eons, as many as there are sands uh, in the Ganges, I served with a pure mind, food and drink, umbrellas, banners and processions of lamps to 10 quadrillion Buddhas. So much greater is the merit of whoever practices a single training night and day at a time when the sublime teaching is perishing and the Sugata's teaching is coming to an end. Uh, so that's number five, showing how um, engaging in virtue, um, and even just one virtue, um, during a degenerate time has a, a great benefits. Digson. <laughs> So knowing this, uh, it's of great benefit to engage in meditation upon bodhicitta or upon love, upon compassion, upon emptiness. Um, any meditation that one does um, uh, creates a large amount of virtue. If one just does a mantric recitation, just doing one mantra is a great amount of virtue during these times. Uh, so whatever virtue we engage in, uh, um, it is much more potent um, because of the uh, timing. Uh, and again, that's because these are uh, degenerate times, meaning teachings are on the decline. Um, decent. Sorry about the ums. What <laughs> Tomasho na sha chukure, ane tomasho na kaya yo marisa, ote tenjuyo maris, 
so now we get to number six, um, and this uh, deals with the, an attitude that you should not have. Uh, one shouldn't have this an attitude of courage, thinking that um, um, I I can always just confess the sin later, um, so I can just go ahead and do it. Um, it's this kind of false courage that you can have, knowing that you can confess later, um, and one shouldn't have this attitude. So, Giant Sheba's uh, names number six as um, um, this kind of false courage that you shouldn't have in regards to even small non-virtues that you think you can just confess later. Okay. Shamba Chiwayan, Kanshina, 
Furthermore, you might think that even were you to incur an infraction, you could confess it afterwards. However, in this case, you lack an attitude of restraint that prevents you from committing the action again. So engaging in this infraction is like eating poison, telling yourself that you could always take the antidote later. For as uh, the lion's roar of Maitreya Sutra states, uh, Maitreya, uh, so this is the Buddha addressing Lord Maitreya. Maitreya, in the future, uh, in the final 500-year period of the teaching, so this is during the decline, certain renunciates and householder bodhisattvas will claim that sinful karma is completely extinguished through confessing the fault. They will disclose the infraction, saying, after we have become involved in sin, we will confess it, but they will not restrain themselves from doing it again. I tell you that they possess fatal karma. What do I mean by fatal? For example, it is like people who ingest poison. They create their time of death and then end up in a misguided descent into a miserable realm. Um, so here, this is um, showing how one shouldn't have this kind of false courage in thinking that um, I can do whatever I want. Um, even uh, uh, I can always just confess it later and purify this misdeed. So um, whether it's a small misdeed or a large misdeed, it doesn't matter because I can always purify it. Um, so this is misguided and this is the wrong way of looking at it. Uh, uh, then it goes on, uh, the same text goes on to say, Maitreya, what I call poison in the noble teaching of the discipline is transgressing the fundamental trainings as I prescribe them. Therefore, do not eat such poison. So engaging in non-virtue, engaging in behavior that goes against what the Buddha stated um, uh, as uh, um, 
Let me try that again. So it, engaging in non-virtuous behavior is going against what the Buddha stated one should uh, take on, one should engage in. Um, um, and it is not um, discarding what the Buddha stated to discard. Therefore, it's like ingesting poison because it will, in the future, certainly lead to suffering, just as poison, when ingested, in the future will certainly lead to, uh, in this case, it says, um, death a certain, at a certain time. So, uh, likewise, um, en- engaging in non-virtuous actions uh, will lead to suffering in the future. And without that restraint present, of uh, not um, committing the virtue non-virtue again, uh, then there isn't a complete purification of the non-virtue because the restraint, that um, commitment part, just as a translator's note, the power of commitment isn't present in the four opponents' powers. Uh, that, that power isn't present. Um, so because of that, the power of restraint isn't present, so therefore the non-virtue just continues uh, as opposed to being extinguished. ね、ね、それでもね、半年も連絡するのがまず、ね、半年が損ぐらいです。ね、どうでどうでいいな。あの、3月来やんだわ、いいて。ポンザンクシビジュレス。ポンザンクシビジュレ。じゃあ、ね、その、
ก็ซึ่งเนี่ยเอ่อวีมูฟอินทูนัมเบอร์เซเว่นกิเวนดัตเมนเทนนิ่งวาวส์อินซัชเอเวย์อัพพลายส์ทูวันหูอัสเทค
um, in common. So we have those vows, uncommon vows, and those things that are in common. So when we look at the four root vows of a monk or nun, no killing, no lying, no stealing, and no uh, sexual misconduct, um, those four root vows are vows that are in common. Now, what kind of misconduct, as a note, that's different. But the vows themselves are in common because they apply to householders as well. No killing, no stealing, um, no lying, and no uh, adultery in the case uh, or sexual misconduct. Um, so uh, these are something that are in common, whereas the fifth that applies to uh, no drinking alcohol does not apply to a householder who doesn't hold a vow, a non-vow-holding householder. But he or she may hold a tantric vow, um, um, so they have to, those practitioners who have tantric vows have to hold the vows that are common uh, behaviors uh, for everyone as well as those tantric vows that he or she has taken. And here it says, except for matters concerning the marks or robes of renunciates, so those who have gone forth wear robes. Householders don't have to wear uh, specific types of robes. And in the tantric practitioners, uh, there's no specific robe that uh, he or she is supposed to wear um, as a tantric practitioner. So this is what is meant, marks of renunciates. So a householder doesn't, show a mark of a renunciate. Doesn't, there isn't a robe a householder wears. Um, and then it says the ceremonial activities. Um, so there are um, those behaviors that are not in common, uh, that have to be purified by specific ceremonies uh, for those who have gone forth. Um, so those uh, ordained members who are ordained um, and our vow holders have to do ceremonies such as the sojung ceremony for purification, whereas householders don't hold those vows which require a sojung um, purification. Uh, and it says, in uh, some factors which are merely regulatory. Um, so this is saying that only specific to what the individual's behaviors have to be in terms of the individual liberation and those common behaviors, common virtues, uh, um, um, and the tantric vows that whatever the tantric vows that have been taken. So individual liberation, or or if not those common vows, and then any tantric vows that have been um, taken. Uh, so that's number seven. D Oh, number seven. Number seven has four parts. That's the first part. Nibatanama Dendroyamatuba, 
Um, so, uh, number six ends, it, if this is the case, then it goes without saying that renunciate practitioners and mantra must act in accordance with the text on discipline. Number seven, uh, so this deals with uh, ethical discipline being the root of the mantra, pra- the practice. Um, so, um, 
that's that's cool. Oh, I just made a mistake. I'm, the Rinpoche, the the Dunba Jire. Dunba la Okay. I just sorry. I just made a mistake. So this is the second part of number seven that has four. I just got it confused. I was trying to figure something else out and lost track of where I was in the outline. Uh, so this is uh, the second part of uh, number seven. So I apologize for that little mix-up. Um, so the first part ends where I, I just read. Um, if this is the case, then it goes without saying that renunciate practitioners of mantra must act in accordance with the text on discipline. Number two, ethical discipline is the root of practicing the mantra vehicle as well. The tantra requested by Sabahu says, the root of the mantra vehicle is, in the first place, uh, ethical discipline. From it comes joyous perseverance, patience, uh, faith in the conqueror, the spirit of enlightenment, the mantra vehicle, and the absence of laziness. Just as a lord possessing the seven treasures tames all beings without uh, disillusionment, so a mantra practitioner controls sins when possessing these seven. Um, so a mantra practitioner uh, that has these seven is able to get rid of the afflictive obstructions, is able to get rid of the obstructions to omniscience. Um, so they are like uh, treasures, um, because it says here, the mantra practitioner controls sins. Controls meaning overcomes them, abandons them. Uh, sins being the misdeeds, those non-virtues that have been created, the ob obstructions to omniscience and the afflictive obstructions. So a mantra practitioner abandons them by possessing the seven, those seven of ethical discipline, joyous perseverance, patience, faith in the conqueror, the spirit of enlightenment, the mantra vehicle, and the absence of laziness. So these are the seven treasures that allow one to abandon those negativities. Um, and um, now, also from before, um, um, when we, no, not, I'm sorry, not from before, uh, when we look at uh, all beings have uh, this kind of basis which is the ethics which abandons the ten non-virtuous activities. Um, so all beings start there. So whether one is a householder or uh, um, one who has gone forth, um, they, all practitioners have this need to engage in the ethics which abandons the ten non-virtuous activities. And when we um, um, look at, uh, for instance, uh, Milarepa, Milarepa was a householder. Milarepa was not a practitioner um, who had uh, gone forth in terms of uh, being ordained. And he was able to attain uh, the state of complete Buddhahood, abandoning the afflictive obstructions and the obstructions um, to omniscience because of en engaging in uh, the virtuous uh, activities uh, that were necessary in order to achieve that goal. Um, so, uh, that was just an aside that Rinpoche said, um, and just going back to the text, a possessor of these seven, uh, mantric practitioner who possesses these seven um, qualities is one who is able to achieve the state, uh, um, the state of, the state beyond meaning beyond non-virtue, beyond obstructions. Okay, so then number two still, 
is going, and we have a find a quote from the root of Tantra of Manjushri. And then this will actually end number two. Uh, and the root tantra of Manjushri says, if these persons who recite mantras spoil their ethical discipline, they would lose the highest of attainments, also middle in attainments, and the least of attainments. And the master of the sages does not say that faulty ethical discipline achieves the tantric path. Breaking ethical discipline is neither a situation nor a destination for those going to the city of Nirvana. For those miserable children, where is the achievement of the tantric path? For beings who have faulty ethical discipline, where are the happy realms? Since they will attain neither high status nor the highest bliss, what need is there to speak of their attaining the knowledge of the mantra vehicle taught by the conqueror? Um, so, again, this is still number two. Uh, so it's saying if these persons, so persons who um, uh, are uh, householders, 
or persons who have gone forth, um, any persons. Uh, so it's saying, uh, it's saying any type of persons who recite mantras uh, spoil their ethical discipline. They lose all of their attainments, their small attainments, their medium attainments, their highest attainments. Um, so it's saying that ethical discipline is indispensable no matter <coughs> who you are. If you're a householder or if you're ordained, ethical discipline is indispensable. And without it, engaging in mantra um, <coughs> will not work. Any attainments that you've already achieved through it will be spoiled. Um, it says, the master of the sages does not say the fault, that faulty ethical discipline achieves the tantric path. So there is no achievement of tantra without ethics. It says, breaking ethical discipline is neither a situation nor a destination for those going to the city of nirvana. If one wishes to achieve liberation, then engaging in ethical discipline is necessary. It is not um, possible to achieve liberation through non-virtue. And then it says, for those, these miserable children, those who engage in non-virtue, um, where is the achievement of the tantric path? There is no achievement of the tantric path. For the beings who have faulty ethical discipline, where are the happy realms? And since they will attain neither high status nor the highest bliss, what need is there to speak of their attaining the knowledge of mantra vehicle taught by the conquerors? So it's saying even the lower attainments aren't achieved. Lower attainments of rebirth into the higher realms of the gods and humans and so forth aren't achieved. Uh, um, nirvana from one's own self or liberation isn't achieved. Uh, the obstructions to omniscience and afflictive obstructions can't be gotten rid of and Buddhahood therefore isn't achieved. So the highest bliss, which is Buddhahood, can't be achieved, nor high status, which is rebirth in the higher realms. It says, where are the happy realms for beings have, who have faulty ethical discipline? And then it says, where is the achievement of the tantric path? And it says, if, if they can't achieve high status or achieve complete Buddhahood through this, how could they possibly achieve the highest pathways of tantra? Um, so that's what's meant in this final point made in the second part uh, number two. Conlubishinajama, Chutin 
lendi le san tabat menga yes son dosra menga yes son batan kadam gijine sharay jene chans kanu bagot son do kadam gijine sharay jene chan son dosta shilene ti shoya na goa yena magwa karshoba yena chula tembi nane chula temba ti nane chan doa ne jetan jumala tene ta Doane jeta jumwa la tene ne tajan maguba tajan maguba tajan maguba shetanwa ta tuba nyagawa ne tazanwa tazanwa yesons doana jin doana somba na sudin somba ina ntama yongres to songas somba tans gejene tembi jene tamba Nous Ngai lami kaju meba mesong batans mesong batans wote kita nonte be wote songo seta kashi ke wote wala tene doanya la chege yesene hala ju hasun jeng dos hala ju ju jeng dos hala ju ju jeng dos hala ju ju jeng dos ne doa ha ju tu han du tu sun doa te ne ju ji asi so all of these now will be number three. Columba said, uh, so these are all Kadampa <coughs> spiritual friends, Kadampa masters. When a famine occurs, everything depends on barley. In the same way, everything revolves around ethical discipline in the practice of the teaching. Therefore, apply yourself to this. Those who have not thought about karma and its effects will not achieve pure ethical discipline. Therefore, thinking about this uh, is uh, a personal imperative. Um, so. It's necessary, um, just as uh, when there's a famine, everything depends upon barley. Um, the seeds, uh, the actual barley that's left, everything during this time depends upon barley. Um, just likewise, um, all practices depend upon ethical discipline. Um, ethical discipline is the foundation and the root of all practices. Without it, um, one will not um, achieve any of the other 
uh, type of results. Um, so uh, if it's necessary to familiarize oneself um, with karma and its results, and by doing so, um, then this will kind of motivate you to engage in ethical discipline because of understanding uh, the process of, of karma and its results. Uh, and then it says, Shirawa says, in general, whatever good or ill happens to you depends on religion. Uh, moreover, so whatever virtue you do or whatever non-virtue you do depends on religion. Uh, or you could translate it, it depends on the Dharma. Moreover, within the Dharma, if you depend on what the texts on discipline say, you will not even have to repeat things. You will be confidently pure, consistent, sure, and steadfast. And then Geshe Dron Tompa says, uh, this is Atisha's root disciple who's also a householder. One group says that when you rely upon discipline, you discard the practice of mantra, and that when you rely upon the mantra vehicle, you discard the rules of the discipline. The teachings that the discipline is the companion of the mantra vehicle, and the mantra vehicle is the companion of the tech discipline, exists only in my Guru Atisha's lineage. So Lord Atisha set forth to Drone Tompa the fact that um, ethical discipline is a concomitant uh, to the uh, mantra vehicle and the mantra discipline. So it's necessary to have it. It's indispensable um, to keep keeping that uh, behave, keeping that discipline uh, is indispensable in the, the mantra path. So uh, one has to, um, when looking even at the other highest higher trainings, they all depend upon ethical discipline. Okay, we'll take a short break and we will be right back. Uh, so, Brian, if Brian, if you could come over here. So, Brian has for many years um, been my benefactor in terms of medication. He's given me some, 1996. since 1996. He's given me medication. Brian's a doctor and has cared for Rinpoche from Ohio, now living in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> this is an offering to Brian. That's a tanka, which is a religious painting like the ones back there. Gary. Sanji. Sanji. So that's Buddha uh, Shakyamuni, I believe. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Rampasi. Hmm. So number seven is completed. Uh, now we get into number eight. Jaoje. <laughs> Delusion Tanangazo 
ジェバ、ジェバ、カビアレ。あ、カデ。で、コロンバ、で、シャラワ、で、ドントンパ、ロン、ニャムドゥ、カレ。で、トカディビコンドロディビ。ドンバ、ジェ。ドンバ、ジ
Number four, number seven's fourth category, zero four. When things of great import or unexpected events befell us Indians, those who upheld the scriptural collections would assemble and determine whether these things were prescribed in the three scriptural collections or were at odds with them. Based on this, we made decisions. In addition to that, those of us from Vikramashila were concerned that there be no prescription among the Bodhisattva's activities and no contradiction with them. Nonetheless, those who upheld the texts on discipline made the final determinations. Uh, so here, this is uh, speaking of the councils that took place um, where they checked to make sure that the teachings uh, were accurate, that the pronouncements were actually pronouncements of Lord Buddha before they were written down. Uh, and they checked them against the three baskets, the Abhidharma basket, the Vinaya basket, uh, and the Sutra basket. Um, so they, during these councils, checked uh, to make sure there was no teaching that was mutually exclusive with um, what was set forth or prescribed in these uh, three baskets. Um, so, and they also, in addition, it says, made sure that there's a, no contradiction uh, with the Bodhisattva's activities uh, and the scriptural co collections in the Vinaya. So there's no um, uh, contradiction between the practices, that they are harmonious, they work together. Um, so this is another thing that they checked to make sure that they weren't um, exclusive teachings that weren't compatible with the others. Um, it says... So it's very similar to um, what's happening currently. Uh, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, uh, there is no longer the fully ordained nun's vow. Uh, there are um, ordained nun's vows, but the fully ordained vow is not present in the Tibetan tradition currently. So, right now, 
the Dalai Lama, and various other um, groups of people are scouring the various texts and uh, the libraries to find um, out if there's uh, any then Garshene Dagadu. Uh, so they're um, scouring these texts to make certain that if there is or isn't the presence of this vow. Um, so whether or not there uh, really isn't a fully ordained nun's vow. Um, so all of these texts are being looked at. Um, and uh, um, so it's very similar to what's being presented here, this council uh, that looked uh, at these um, words that were supposedly pronouncements of Buddha and check them for accuracy and, and check them against the three baskets. So right now there's a similar um, thing going on where they're scouring all the texts and seeing if there is or is not this presence of the vowel. <laughs> So, uh, in the Kaju tradition, there's a movement uh, towards a way for this ordination to um, happen again in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Um, but whether or not uh, it will be successful, uh, we will have to see if it, it actually um, um, is recognized um, and accurate. And so we will have to see. It requires 20 fully ordained nuns to be present at the ceremony in order to give this particular vow. And at this time, we don't have any uh, in our Tibetan lineage, any fully ordained nuns in our lineage to be able to give this ceremony. But we're still studying, we're still looking into this, and only the future will tell if uh, this vow will um, be present again. So now, but they do say that in Thailand and Burma and in China that there is the presence of this vow. Um, so now we're studying to figure out if there's some way, uh, if this is proven to be so, that we can then re um, and state the vow in the Tibetan tradition. This requires a lot of um, analysis. Um, we need to look at this very carefully. The dachi means like um, um, when you're analyzing in terms of debate, this is the dache. So it's like it needs to be not debated, like, but debated in terms of the facts and logic and correct signs. So these are the four 
contained within number seven, and now we move to number eight. So Jayan Sheba states that number eight um, is the antidotes of the opponents to uh, the afflictions. So the opponents to the afflictions. Nebuchadnezzar Chief. Hero. 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 Preliminaries, it seems like the way you translate number three, but let's wait till we get to three and see if I can come up with a better way to translate that. The word ngundru is used, which is generally translated as preliminaries. It doesn't seem to make sense. Um, but it's almost like in, in all of the stages, the getting rid of the afflictions is the preliminary basis. Um, and then number four, those who have a, done so are heroes. Um, so those last two, I'd like to really look at more carefully, but um, that's what we have literal. Okay. Okay, so the first of uh, there's six. Saji Then Tata 
Tajibumba Maida, Union Yawan Nebada, 
Okay, so <clears throat> among the six, uh, this is the first category that we're uh, going to go over. And it's achieving pure discipline. Further, with regard to keeping a pure discipline in this way, uh, Nusurpa said, Right now, only this internal struggle with the afflictions is important. If you do not struggle with the afflictions, you will not achieve a pure ethical discipline, in which case you will not attain the concentration and wisdom that respectively suppress and uproot the afflictions. Hence, as the Buddha says, you will have to wander continually through cyclic existence. Therefore, as I explained before, once you have identified the afflictions and reflected on their faults and on the benefits of separating from them and planted the spies of mindfulness and vigilance, you must repeatedly fend off whatever affliction raises its head. Further, you must see any affliction as an enemy and attack it as soon as it arises in your mind. Otherwise, if you acquiesce when it first appears and then nurture it with improper thoughts, you have no way to defeat it and it will conquer you in the end. Okay, so... <clears throat> Here it's stating that um, one has to, in order uh, to achieve pure discipline, um, struggle with the afflictions, uh, meaning that one has to have this struggle in order to recognize this need to overcome, in order to want to achieve a pure uh, ethical discipline. And in order to achieve the other highest higher trainings of concentration and wisdom, um, it's necessary to have this highest higher training in ethics as its basis. So it says, um, here it says, in which case you will not attain the concentration and wisdom that respectively suppress and uproot the affliction. So, um, in order to get rid of the afflictions, um, it's necessary to have um, concentration and wisdom. So what that's saying is, is that struggle won't go away until you can apply concentration and wisdom to the root of the afflictions. So one, even when one is trying to engage in pure ethical discipline, which is the first of the highest higher trainings and the basis, there still will be a struggle with the afflictions because one hasn't, at that point, suppressed them with a concentration and wisdom. Um, so it says, hence, as the Buddha says, you will have to wander continually through cyclic existence if you don't have that pure ethical discipline, which serves as a basis to concentration and wisdom, um, because um, you won't cut the root of cyclic existence, therefore you'll wander continuously in it. Um, it says, therefore, as I have explained before, once you have identified the afflictions, reflected on their faults and the benefits of separating from them, and planted the spies of mindfulness and vigilance, you must repeatedly fend them off whatever affliction raises its head. So you have to repeatedly, over and over again, um, 
try to face and avert these non-virtues um, as they arise. It says, further, you must see an affliction as an enemy and attack it as soon as it arises in your mind. Otherwise, if you acquiesce when it first appears, so if you don't do anything about it, nurture within proper thoughts, you have no way to defeat it, and it will conquer you in the end. And the Abhidharma, it talks about three ways um, that an affliction uh, continues on, or that an affliction um, comes about and continues on. And first is that it hasn't already been abandoned. So once something's been abandoned, it won't arise again. But the fact that this affliction hasn't been abandoned means that it will arise again. Second is that the object that causes the affliction is close. So for instance, if you um, have uh, attachment, whatever you're attached to is close to you. Um, and then third, improper mental conduct. What this means is um, giving things qualities in your mind and familiarizing yourself with those qualities that aren't really correct. Um, so through seeing something that you find attractive, uh, you have improper mental conduct that convinces you of this attraction and then you become attached to it. And then you have something that um, you find that you aren't attracted to uh, that is d displeases you. And through improper mental conduct, you become certain that you hate this object or certain that you uh, greatly dislike this object. Um, so this is what is meant by um, improper mental conduct being kind of a source for affliction. So um, having not abandoned the affliction, having that which causes the affliction to arise close to you, or um, improper mental conduct. These are all uh, signs that uh, uh, afflictions will arise. And this all falls into that fir first category of the achievement of pure discipline. Okay. Tell me, what did you want to do with the だにばろにだにばだたびびまどなやしにばねだたびびまどなやねだたびびまどなにもまどなやじゅむとばまらしじゅむとばちょうれしじゅむとばまらとばじゅむとばまらとばちょうれしむちば ちょっとさらにまたぶくいです。たんがとちょっとでめてばな。さらにまたぶくいな。なんそうしゅちゅ。どれでめてな。たぶろだ。だそう。で、にょもちょっとなんさ。ね、ちょっとでめてばな。
Tulla Nyamun Joji Matuso 